I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window, throwing parties in a ten by seven cell. It's a stunning the legs I'll go to convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drive. Don't bother swimming out to save me. I will only drag you down. I'll try to use your body as a life raft. 'Cause if there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset, sipping on savory waters till my liver turns blue. All right, put down your pens, put down your pencils, step away from your keyboards and settle in for this week's episode of The Writer's Block. First and foremost, allow me to thank Don and Sally Wright for giving birth to me because without them, none of this would be possible. And to them, I also apologize for uh, letting them down every single day. Uh, I would also like to thank the Narcissist Cookbook for allowing me to use their music on this and every episode of The Writer's Block. And a very special thank you to Matt Masifalo from Modernesian Kava for the kava that I am drinking today. To all those above, I say, Bula Vanaka. It's interesting. I actually had to make this kava myself right before the show. I was mixing it really quickly. Um, today, allow me to, uh, I would like to uh, bring on my, uh, my next guest. He is a member of the Project 21 Black Leadership Network. He is a director of community engagement for Americans for Prosperity here in my home state of Florida. And he is the author of the book, Preservation and Purpose, The Making of a Young Millennial and a Manifesto for Faith, Family, and Politics. And if that wasn't enough, he is also a preacher on the leadership team of Tampa Life Church. Ladies and gentlemen, allow me to welcome Demetrius Minor on the show. Demetrius, welcome on, buddy. You, I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I, I must say that was a very uh, interesting and memorable um, theme song that you started <laughs> off with. Uh, um, I've, I've never heard that one before. It definitely will be um, sticking in my memory bank yeah. for the remainder of the evening. So job well done. Apparently, Zoom has a gift for me right in the middle of my show. Thanks, Zoom. Appreciate that. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
that guy, his name is uh, Matt Johnston. Um, and one of, one of our regular listeners, a guy named Brian, um, man, I forgot Brian's last name, a guy named Brian. Uh, I was living in Alaska last summer, and uh, Brian sent me a video of this guy, and he goes, I think you'd really like this song. And I watched it, and it's a seven-minute song <coughs> called uh, Courtney. And it's all about how Courtney Love killed Kurt Cobain. And then about three mm. quarters of the way through the song, he goes into this long, like, well-thought-out diatribe about how it's easier to believe the conspiracy theory of Courtney kills Co- or Kurt Cobain as opposed to, you know, he was a guy who had uh, drug addiction and depression, um, dealt with uh, paranoia, all these different issues. But it's easier right. for us to believe that <clears throat> than to believe that one of our heroes, one of our rock stars, uh, would actually kill himself. And he goes into this long thing, and then he closes it out by still saying, but we all know Courtney killed Cobain. And... <laughs> And I, wa- and I watched this video like a hundred times and I loved it. And then I found the rest of his music and then I befriended him on Facebook. Like I followed his page. I was like, Hey man, I love your album. And he was like, thanks. And we started talking. He started watching my show and he's like, I like your show. I disagree with you on everything, but I like your show. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, thanks. You know, Hey, I knew I was going to disagree with you. I've listened to your music. And, uh, we just kind of became friends that way. And I said, Hey, can I use your music on my show? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. I was like, thanks man. And wow. And he was like, it's pretty cool background. Yeah, he was like, as long as you don't use a good ship, you. And I said, well, that's the only one that's like under five minutes long, and it's the only one that only has one curse word, and it's the last one, and I always try to get rid of it, and I never do. Um, so he was like, well, okay, I'll use that one if you want. And I was like, great, because that's what I was doing. Um, gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, no, no, super nice guy. He's supposedly got a new album coming out soon, and I am looking forward to it because I loved I, everything he's made. I've really enjoyed. <clears throat> when you mentioned conspiracy theories, I mean, that's sort of reflective of our culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. We, um, we as a society, we're always talking about how we demand facts from our leaders, from our media, from, from, from journalists. But yet it's a conspiracy theory that brings about the intrigue. I mean, it's, it's been going on since the beginning of time before you and I were born. Oh, easily. The Kennedy, assa- the Kennedy assassination. Uh, <clears throat> we'll go with that one. And then, of course, you know, theories about 9-11 and, you know, to be um, relevant to music, um, theories surrounding Tupac Shakur and, and um, Biggie Smalls. Right. And so we we love conspiracy because it gives us a different narrative to embrace and to talk about. It gives us somebody, something else that it gives us right. something else that we can focus on and that we can uh, try to blame as opposed to whatever's being <laughs> just kind of pushed down our throats. And many times, I like I don't believe the narrative that's being pushed down our throats. I think that there is always Correct. what is it in every story? There are three sides what one person says, what one side says, what the other side says and what really happened. And mm-hmm. the narrative that we have pushed down our throats by the media is what one side wants us to see. And then there's right. the other side that wants us to see a different side, which because of the internet and things, you're starting to catch that side uh, a little bit more. And somewhere in between these two things is what's really happening. And it's just all about what you believe and what you don't believe. And that creates more conspiracy theories. Oprah Winfrey said something not long ago that I thought was captivating, but also very dangerous. And she talked about sharing your truth. And I'm like, well, 
there's only the truth. Uh, and, and so I, I, I get sharing your, your story, your background, your testimonial. But when someone's saying sharing your truth, I mean, it, it gives the inclination that you can distort the facts. You can exaggerate the facts. Or you could just lie. And yet that could be your reality. Right. Um, but that doesn't make it truth. Right. Because anything that's opposite of truth is still a lie. It's still a lie. Fabrication. And so, um, but, but, you know, it's a good soundbite. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and people hatched on to it. But uh, when I do remember that statement, your truth. And I'm like, man, that's uh, psychologically so so damaging and so dangerous because it's a captivating soundbite. And, you know, it, it, it makes people um, go up into this um, emotional uproar. But at the same time, it allows us to easily negate facts. Um, and so that's what conspiracy theories allow us to do. Absolutely. And like when they say, when Oprah says things like, you know, share your truth, which you hear that a lot now. And I'm certain that right, Oprah's right. probably the one who coined it. I'm not going to say definitely, but um, right, right. If, if she didn't coin it, she's the one that probably brought it to the mainstream. And people right. are always like, share your truth. But I was, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and this will come as no shock to anybody who has uh, watched a lot of the show. I used to lie a lot. Like I used to like it. I would just, that was who I was when I was a kid. Um, Did you want to be a lawyer? <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a politician. So I think that's kind of where it all came <laughs> yeah. from. Um, instead of started, better. yeah. Instead of started doing this. Uh, and so there were things that like happened in my life that I, I lied about. And I was like, cause I didn't want people to find out about it. So I lied about it. And sure. I have been telling those lies for so long. I know they're lies, but I don't know what really happened anymore. So technically now it's my truth, but I know it's a lie. Right. And right. so that's why it's like, it's dangerous to say, no, share your truth, share your, what you see, because like literally there are things in my life that I have been lying about for so long. I don't remember exactly what really happened. And I only right. remember the lie. Well, and that goes for many of us who um, live out a lie or um, we're used to telling a certain version of the story that's not true, Right. Um, that we become distant from reality. Um, it, it's, it's funny, I know we're kind of getting off topic here, but I've been re-watching the O.J. Simpson case recently. Not, and not just that, that trial, but the interviews that O.J. Simpson did afterwards. Right. And so to where he has embraced a distorted view, a distorted reality of what actually happened that I, I, don't, I don't think he could tell the truth if he wanted to because he's been living a lie for so for long. So, yeah, for so long. He's been, he's for been, so long, yeah. Once you start you once you start believing it and you start internalizing right. it, it does it becomes it distorts your vision. It yeah, distorts everything. Um, right. Jim Snell says, "Hey, Demetrius." Um, Jim Snell, good friend of mine from my church. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm glad he's listening in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have but... to make sure I say something smart now. <laughs> well, you're on with me, so odds are you're going to be saying the smartest thing that's on here today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny. So um, 
I came I came across you uh, because of an email um, that I got from uh, conservatives concerned about the death penalty, and okay. uh, I they were inviting me to an event in New Orleans, I believe is where the event is, and you're going to be one of the speakers there. And I found out that you were a local here. You're you're a Tampa. You're living here in Tampa, um, in the Tampa area anyway. And uh, I was like, oh, he's close to me, you know, you know, he. He's against the death penalty, and then I started looking into you more, and I was really interested in Project 21, and uh, sure. I knew that you, you, you did work with, uh, on campus free speech, correct? I did, yes, absolutely, as recently as last year. Okay, so uh, can, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, so where, sure. where, where did you go for, this cam- for your campus free speech activism? Sure. So in um, January of 2018, I relocated to Florida from the state of Georgia, and I came on board uh, Americans for Prosperity as director of coalitions. And um, my immediate assignment upon moving here was to go to the state capital of Florida, which is Tallahassee, and to lobby for the Campus uh, Free Expression Act. What had happened was we found that uh, free speech rights were being violated all across the state. Uh, What were happening in uh, universities and campuses were that the outdoor areas of public universities, and I say public universities because I do want to make the distinction between public universities that receive taxpayer uh, money, contrasting that to private universities. Right. So what was happening, well, I'm just going to take Florida State University. That means there were multiple universities that were in violation of free speech rights. But a university as prominent um, as uh, Florida State University were prohibiting freedom of speech. So they will have these very small designated uh, free speech zones, uh, math that were not visible to the student body. So they, they have you tuckered away in a small corner of the campus. And, you know, I'm sure you've been to Florida State University. It's a pretty vast campus. Right. And they have you um, in this area where it's not visible to the student body. And they have you in this designated zone. And there you'll be able to exercise your free speech, protest, and, and say whatever it is that you feel compelled to say. And we said that's unconstitutional. And we took it a step further and said, you know, the whole entire state of Florida is a free speech zone. And so uh, we we uh, we start to lobby for this bill that was brought forth. Uh, and I want to give credit to uh, Representative Bob Rommel from Naples. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I was, I was yeah. thinking he was Naples area. Yep, from the Naples area who uh, decided to, to sponsor this legislation. And then on the Senate side... Um, Senator uh, Max Bax, uh, Matt Bax, Senator Baxley's first name escapes me at the moment. So, anyways, so uh, we were. Our stance was: every student should have the right to exercise their freedom of speech. And Matt, my stance was very simple: freedom of speech is not agreeing with what's being said; it's agreeing with the right to say it. And right. so. This whole ordeal during session was quite a sight to behold. And what I mean by that is I I remember testifying 
in front of the, the House Education Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, uh, and, and, and compelling them to embrace diversity of thought, independent thought, free expression. If you don't like someone's idea, we'll present a better idea. And this was also during the time where Richard Spencer was in the news. Um, and for those who are not familiar with Richard Spencer, um, the person who's a part of the alt-right, um, the white supremacist movement. He, he, um, if, if you don't know, he had a haircut much like mine, which has ruined this haircut, but I refuse to get rid of it <laughs> because I had it first. You had it first, right? So I am not getting rid of this haircut because of people like Richard Spencer. Well, Matt, you just got to get a trademark. That <laughs> but this was during the time where Richard... Spencer was in the news. Um, a Florida university had invited him. And um, of course, when someone from the alt-right or a white supremacist KKK um, movement or ideology is in the news, of course, that's going to make major headlines. Right. I mean, even st- like you get people like Ben Shapiro or uh, Stephen Crowder or Milo right. Yiannopoulos all showing up and you get the same issues and Milo he does things just, just to create havoc. Controversy. Like, yeah. He, he does that just to create controversy. Ben Shapiro and uh, Steven Crowder, they're, they just kind of get up there and Ben Shapiro, you know, he just talks really quickly and fast and says sure. stuff, but sure. Crowder just goes up there and tries to have fun while putting his political ideas out there. He doesn't do it for controversy. He does it just because that's what he believes. And that's what he's, well, ben, ben Shapiro is definitely intellectually sound. Right. The, the, the problem, one of the problems with um, people who are against free speech is that anyone who is a conservative is going to be deemed controversial. True. Um, but what was humorous, Matt, was that I remember testifying in support of free speech. And I actually had lawmakers who will look me dead in my face and say, so Mr. Minor, you're here advocating for um, eliminating free speech zones. Are you comfortable with white supremacists and KKK coming on campuses? Are you standing in support of them? And I wanted to say, guys, take a real good look at me here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do... Do I look like the ideal spokesperson for the KKK? Right. I mean, you know, I was really tempted to insert some Dave Chappelle, right? The Clayton, Clayton Bigsby. Bigsby. Yeah. <laughs> That's I was I was just thinking that I was like, yeah, like your Clayton Bigsby or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so obviously I say that in jest, but I but I say that to to bring out a larger point is that when people are unable or unwilling to engage with you on a civil and intellectual level about free speech or any other set topic, then they automatically revert to playing the race card or saying that you're homophobic or xenophobic um, or saying that you're extreme or saying that you're radical. And so, um, so yeah, I was being asked if I was in support of the KKK, which was absolutely asinine and ridiculous. And absurd, third, especially coming from elected officials, 
but but thankfully we were able to go through the loopholes uh excuse me not the loopholes but we we were able to to go through the back and forth um that was going around going through the committees and things and we got the bill passed and um governor scott signed it into law in march of last year and so now i can and now i can say with confidence and with triumph that unconstitutional free speech zones on the outdoor areas of public universities in the Sunshine State is now a thing of the past. Uh, see, and that that's awesome because the way I see it is, it doesn't matter where I am. If I am on public property, I have the Correct. right. If I have the right, I have the right to say whatever it is that's on my mind. Correct. Which I also understand that I can. What I say is protected from the government. It's not protected from some random person walking by that gets upset with what I'm saying. Correct. Like, Correct. If I get punched in the face for saying something that should get me punched in the face, I understand that I'm getting punched in the face for good reason. But it's not the well, government doing it. Right. And, and of course, you know, context is everything. You know, Matt, you, you can't go into an open theater and yell, fire. Exactly. And then be like, oh, well, you know, freedom of speech, because, you know, th- that is something that can actually have life or death consequences. But it, a bigger a, b- a bigger point that I want to um, go back to is that the media has always, the mainstream media, have always viewed anyone on the right who claims to be a conservative to be controversial. Uh, and so it, it shows that conservative thought conservative expression or libertarian expression, I want to be fair, um, is a threat to the secular left's agenda. And instead of them being willing to come to the table and have a dialogue, they want to suppress the voice and the thought of anyone who thinks differently than them. And and, and so one of the the things that I shared... um, during February, February was um, Black History Month. And I said, you know, let's think about this for a moment. What if Martin Luther King Jr. was limited to a free speech zone? Oh, he when, was- he took, when, when he took the iconic and the historic I Have a Dream speech that he gave in August of 1963 on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. W- what if you were told, well, Dr. King, you can't give it right there you have to go behind lincoln's head or behind his statue and give it right you you, uh, you can give it you get you a hundred yards away from anywhere that people are <laughs> mulling around and uh right but you can't right. be too close to the water for safety reasons and you can't be too Correct. close to the street Correct. so you've got this Correct. 10 by 10 square that you and right. all of your followers can be in. Correct. And in King, as um, iconic and historic as he, uh, as his life was, he was at one point in time deemed controversial. And I'm not just talking about um, his push for, for racial equality, but I mean, he was against the Vietnam War. Uh, he spoke out against both the Democrats and the Republican Party. Yep. And, um, you know, if you were to read some of the context of his sermons, one could say that that was controversial. So, I mean, our nation is not a stranger to controversy. We were built upon controversy, but through freedom of thought and freedom of expression, um, we've overcome, we've excelled, we, we still have work to do, but it's, it's, it's embedded within our DNA. 
it is, it is embedded in our DNA, and that's one of the things that that's one of the things that kind of got us start. Like one of the reasons that we started Muddied Waters in the first place um, years ago was because conservative, uh, conservative, libertarian, anarchist, anybody to the right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all those voices were. Well, that that was that was quite the leap there. <laughs> the people to the anarchists. Well. So, you know, the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist is about six months. So that's, you know, you, you start being a libertarian, you're like, yeah, the government shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't be doing this. And then all of a sudden you're like, and, well, the government shouldn't be doing anything. So we don't And that's what, it. and I tell people, I say, well, you know, the, the big difference between conservatives and libertarians is that, you know, we actually do believe that you do need some form of government. <laughs> we don't want anarchy. We don't want total chaos. We don't want total disturbance because you do have to have a rule of law. Well, I mean, anar- in anarchy isn't like total chaos. It's, it's, it's control. It's controlled. It's people. <laughs> people believe that uh, anarchists believe that people are genuinely good and that you d- you're not going to do things that are going to harm other people. Cause those are the only things that we really care about is, you know, don't hurt other people. Don't steal their stuff. Don't, you know, basically that's about it. Um, don't, don't steal, don't, don't hurt other people. Don't steal their stuff. Don't break their stuff. Um, you know, don't, don't ruin their property. And right. you believe that people are good. And if you, if you're saying, well, people out there are bad. So we need to put people who are good in power you are then saying, well, not everybody's good, but we think these people might be good. And when those people turn out not to be good and they start doing the things like our government does every day, um, sure. you know, with the, with the war on drugs and with the high incarceration rates and with um, shipping of cocaine into the country when they were saying that they were fighting a drug, you know, just the long list of things that our government has done. These are people that were supposedly good doing this. I I view government or our political infrastructure, politics is a reflection of culture. I believe culture is a reflection of society. I believe society is a reflection of the individual. So the leaders that we elect and that we send to the state house and um, to the White House, uh, to the Capitol, they're a reflection of us. So when we we whine and we moan about people like Nancy Pelosi or Elijah Cummings or uh, those who have succumbed to the system for an extended period of time, right? Well, there's no one to blame but ourselves, because we or, or the people there. of that that state or the people of that district, because they're reflective of the choices that those people are making. So. If we want to end corruption, if we want to end the status quo, it is incumbent upon us to make better choices for leaders. Now, you can also say, well, the system is so corrupt and the system is so tainted that it is preventing good people, people with a good, solid moral conscience from sticking their neck out there and having their private life exposed. And they don't want anything to do with the system. And, and that's, that's reflective on the number of resignations that we're seeing from members of Congress. Now. That's, and that's true. And I've got, so Nick, Nick Tumbalides, do you, do you know Nick Tumbalides? He uh, works with. Uh, it's, a fi- it's a familiar name. He just testified in Congress. He's with uh, 
God, term limits. You, I can't remember the name of the organization, the uh, term limits organization. Um, he, I know what you're talking about. He came on the show, and he and I, he great, great guy. He lives in Florida also. He's actually on the East Coast, which, fingers crossed that he's okay this week. Um, yeah. Yeah, but um, he's on the East Coast. Great guy. And he was coming on, and he was saying that, you know, we, we have an issue where people continue to just vote for the name that they know. They don't really think, right. You know, you're like, oh, well, we know that you, the, the, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Right. Um, and so they just continue to vote for the same person over and over and over again. Once, once somebody is in office, it's really hard to get them out. That's very true. And as they, get, as they stay in longer, people just get used to seeing them there. Like, the reason that mm-hmm. we have the Nancy Pelosi's and the Elijah Cummings and... Um, the uh, the uh, I just wow I just blanked on the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Mitch much, McConnell. Thank you, Mitch McConnell. I was like, <laughs> he's from Kentucky. He's the old guy. Kind of Co- cocaine Mitch. Old cocaine Mitch. Yeah. To. <laughs> <laughs> old cocaine Mitch. Um, the reason that they stay in there for so long is because people get used to seeing them there, and they're just like, yeah, you know, they're it's them. They're there. You know, they're that's our guy, and they're going to be there. That's their seat. Like when Ted Kennedy, when Ted Kennedy passed away. Uh, and they were doing the special election and uh, Scott Brown won Uh, Mm -hmm. a democratic during the debate. One of the Democrats that was asking, they had like a town hall and a Democrat asked him and he said, uh, Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown, why do you feel that you deserve Ted Kennedy's seat? Why do you think you deserve Ted Kennedy's seat? Because that's the way that people see it. They see it as correct. That is now as, Ted he, Ken- as he's entitled. Right. Ted Kennedy was entitled. Right. As though it's Ted Kennedy's seat. And Scott. I, I mean, I, I, I guess we're people sort of have revisionist history when it comes to Ted when it, Ted Kennedy. We're, we're I guess we're going to ignore Chappaquiddick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the fact that he let somebody die. Um, <laughs> The fact that a woman drowned on We're him. laughing, but that's true. I mean, it's 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 a hundred percent true. Yeah, right. and, 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 and he why crashed he his car president. over a bridge. Correct. There was a girl in the car. He got right. out and survived. She did not. Yeah, and could. And the reason why he did not report it is because it would hurt his political ambition. Yeah, exactly. that's not distortion. That's not exaggeration. That is that's what not happened. Verbally, that is facts. Yes, that is a hundred percent what happened. But right. people in Boston, they loved him. People in Massachusetts, they loved him. They said, no, Ted Kennedy, this is Ted Kennedy's seat. And Scott Brown did, had a great answer. He goes, this is not the people, of, this is not Ted Kennedy's seat. This is the people of Boston's seat or the people of Massachusetts' seat. And they can elect whoever they think that will do the best job. And mm-hmm. that is the right answer. And, but the only reason he got a chance to say that line was because Ted Kennedy had passed away. Right. And people would and people would still see it as Ted Kennedy's seat if Ted Kennedy hadn't passed away. It's like Barney Frank. Barney Frank is was in forever. He may still be. I don't even know if he's still alive. But he may <laughs> I, I, I don't think he's no longer in power, but I, I'm reminded of something that George W. Bush said recently. He said it in the context of the necessity for a free press. He said that power can be corrosive. And that a free press is there to hold you accountable. Now, he's absolutely right about that. But I would take it a step further, is that not only the freedom of the press, but the American people, you and I, Matt, as constituents, our elected officials, no, no matter how good they are as a human being, 
once they get a taste of power and what it can do, there can be a tendency because there's fallacy within all, within every one of us. Absolutely. There can be that tendency to be corrosive, to be corrupt, to be addicted to power that you forget the reason why you were elected. You forget that you represent your constituents and not yourself. And so not only does a freedom of press need – a free press need to hold them accountable, but we need to hold them accountable. And that's why we have elections. And that's why we should take elections seriously. But we, so we have a free press, but the press, as, as we have seen over the last, sure. I don't know, 20, 30 years, probably actually going back right. to the Vietnam War, when you have right. Walter Cronkite on TV and he's telling you one side of the story, whichever side he wanted you to hear, and then at the end of it, he's going, and that's the way it is. And everybody's right. like, well, he says that's the way it is, so obviously that's the right. way it is they learned that they could start shaping the way that people see things. And sure. I'm a, and I'm 100% for a free press, but yes. you need to be able to have all sides of the argument and people need to be able to look in other places. Correct. When you only Correct. had NBC, ABC, CBS, I think that's actually it for a while. Fox didn't come around until the 80s. Um, right. When you only had the three or four stations and you were getting the news from, you know, your Walter Cronkite or... Um, oh, who was that guy? Dan Rather. Dan Rather. Dan Rather, yeah. yeah. Or the Dan Rather, or Dan Rather, or, you know, whomever it is. That and is, for a short time with um, ABC News was Peter Jennings. Peter Jennings. Right. Yeah. Uh, people tune into those people, and they're going to take whatever it is that Peter, Peter Jennings or Dan Rather or Walter Cronkite. Tom Brokaw. Tom yeah. Brokaw, Larry King. Um, right. Whatever these people say, and they are going to spin it how they want it to be spun. Just like, and Fox News, every, every, Fox News does the exact same thing. Right. Everybody has an agenda. Fox News does the exact same thing. Like everybody spends it how they want it to be said, how they want it to be framed. It was it was interesting. Just yesterday, the president uh, went after Fox News. You know, my my eyebrows were raised. I'm like, man, if you've lost Fox, you know. Yeah. Um, if, but, if Trump yeah. lost Fox, he's lost everybody. He's he has <laughs> he has four chan now. If he lost Fox. <laughs> But yeah, Matt, you're totally right. Uh, the media has an obligation to report facts, not their opinion. And um, sadly, um, we've seen the opposite. I mean, just look at CNN. You look at people like Jim Acosta. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely not going to come on your show and be a Trump defender if I have a stretch of <laughs> the imagination. But you wouldn't be the but, first if you did. So. <laughs> but there is a point in, in bringing out the inconsistencies of the media how these journalists are reporting uh, opinions and not facts. And it does a disservice to the American people. Uh, but the difference now here in 2019 compared to 1990 or 1980 is that there are a plethora of resources for us as citizens to, to find the truth uh, via fact checking, um, via um, our best friend named Google. Um, and, and, and now with, uh, Not so much our best friend anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> but with the the advancement of the digital age and um, social media, um, you know there are different um, avenues to get the truth. And so, you know, newspapers used to be a dominant source of news, yeah. and you know that's no longer the case. And um, like you just alluded to, um, the main headline is CBS, ABC, NBS, NBC. Um, 
all the letters um, get right. all mixed the, together at this the, point. The, the they used to be you... dominant sources of news, and that's no longer the case. Now yes. you have platforms like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and uh, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, so you have you have people who didn't like being at Fox because they didn't like that Fox made them say certain things or do certain things, and they've branched sure. out. And you get places like uh, what's it called now, Blaze TV, where sure. you have. You know, that's where uh, Eric Bowling and uh, Louder with Crowder and mm-hmm. the Roaming Millennial, I think is her name. Like, there's a bunch of people. Um, on... Yeah, Allie Stuckey. Yeah, Allie Stuckey. Um, got a bunch of people on that, and they do, you know, you pay 100 bucks a year, and you get all of these shows that you can watch. Um, right. And then you have people uh, on the left, like the Young Turks, and all of, who sure. are, like, trying to outdo Fox because CNN and NBC and MSNBC and CNN and all the others can't do it. Right. Um, so you have Bill the, Maher, the late night shows. Right. I, I, I get, I, I will argue that most of mainstream media is the left. Yes. Right. Yes. Most of mainstream media is the left and they don't like the people on the right. And they definitely don't like the people who don't believe in government at all. <laughs> that's true. Unfortunately. Right. Um, and they, you know, they fight against it and, that's why they're they, they're quick to go to the identity politics. Like so, like when you were fighting for uh, free speech, they're like, "Well, do you support the KKK?" If I'm fighting for free speech, they just say I'm part of the KKK. So, right. You know, they I get called a Nazi regularly just because I believe in free speech. And Correct. I don't agree with Nazis in any way. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a nationalist. I'm not. Well, that's a release. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't believe in anything that they did. You know, I don't believe in sure. gun control. I don't believe, you know, I don't believe in rounding people up and murdering them. Uh, you right. know, I'm they're just a ton of and things. That's why, and that's why, Matt, you offer better speech. What, what, is, what is the best way to combat hate speech? What is the best way to combat um, hateful ideologies, hateful stances like the KKK, like Nazism? fascism it is better speech and and, and by the way it troubles me that we're so quick to label our political opponent or someone that thinks differently than you and i we put extreme labels on them nazis i I, I mean we have to really step back and and think of the historical context of the language that we choose right um the last time i checked my political opponent the person who has a different viewpoint than I that I do, that person did not exterminate over sixty million Jews. When, when, when we say that, oh, because you support this this candidate, you're a racist, really? Because the last time I checked, um, because I I oppose um, per, uh, former President Barack Obama's policies, um, I didn't take a cross and burn it into his yard. Right. I I I, I didn't. Um, put up an image of him in a noose. I, I think we have forgotten the context of the language that we use, and sadly, they've lost their meaning. But, so I, that when someone who is a real Nazi, someone who is a real racist, when they arise, they don't... We disregard their actions because the language and the, the words that we choose I've just been taken out of context for so long. And that's, that's something I talk about a lot is that we say these things, you know, we, we say things like you call somebody a Nazi or you call somebody, um, 
Hitler, you know, a racist. If, if right. everybody, if everybody is this, then nobody is this. It takes the meaning, it takes the meaning out of these words completely, and Correct. essentially, you're just making it. I actually, so I learned an interesting fact the other day. Um, the word "stupid" used to be a medical term, which was a medical term for somebody who is mentally challenged, and people were using it as an insult so much that they ended up having to change that word and they changed it to retarded and then retarded got used mm. and now they stopped using that and now it's mentally challenged. Um, sure. Stupid has got, had gotten so widely used that it stopped meaning the meaning that it was and they ended up having to change it. And then they right. named it something else and then when people started using that as the insult, they said, well, you can't call people that. That's just mean. And now it's, it's bad to call people retarded. <laughs> Which when right. I... When I we discussed ages beforehand. So when I was growing up, that was like, that You're not was, much older than me. Right. That, I mean, that, that was, that was the nuke that you dropped on somebody growing up is, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, Oh, you're, you're retarded. And now it's like, you know, don't definitely don't ever call somebody that. Well, there's a certain word in, in, in the British culture that means a cigarette, but if you or a bundle of sticks. Word, a, or a bundle of sticks, right. but you know, if you were to use that word um, in English, um, it, it it would be a homophobic slur. Right. And, and so, yeah, and so that goes to um, to prove your point of how the origin of words and, and the meaning of words have changed and evolved over the course of time. And not only that, but by saying, "Okay, you can't say this," you can't say this. This word is something you can't say. You are now giving that word more power which gives the people more power when they use it. If you don't give right. the words the power, you don't end up giving the people the power when they say it. Right. That's when people say that, and people say this to me a lot, a lot, that what I said is offensive. I'm saying, well, you're allowing yourself to be offended. I didn't say anything offensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, listen, Matt, people, people say offensive things all the time. People do say offensive things so, all the time. But you, with the freedom of speech, also is the freedom to ignore. So you can uh, you can either counteract with better speech, or you can ignore them. So my sentiment is, you have the freedom to be an idiot. I have the freedom to tune you out, to ignore you. And I definitely it's, 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 it's why I'm not really into boycotting and protesting. And, uh, well, protest is a freedom of speech, right. but, but like as far as like boycotting um, Target or boycotting um, certain corporations, if you don't like what they do, shop somewhere else. Shop somewhere else. They don't have they don't have to have your money. It's, it's the beauty of a free market right. system. You can you can choose to do business with whatever and whoever you please. I remember, so years ago, this was a 2000, God, probably eight, probably 2008, when Barack Obama was running for president uh, for the first time. Uh, yeah, it was 2008. I, th- I think it was then. ABC was going to uh, air a one-hour special uh, that was Barack Obama, one hour free, where he just was going to get out there and he was just going to talk to the American people, sort of like a... Um, I, thought they did that, I, th- I thought they did that the whole campaign. Right. Yeah, exactly. But it was just, it was one hour of him like sitting in a room or something. I didn't watch it. Um, and my friends were like, we should boycott. And I was like, I don't think you understand what the word boycott means here. And they're like, no, we should definitely boycott. And I was like, okay, this is what a boycott means. ABC is owned by Disney. 
So if you're going to boycott this, you're boycotting Disney, which means you're boycotting ESPN, ABC, Pixar, That's very every true. Disney movie That's that comes true. out. Marvel wasn't even a thing at the time, so but you're still boycotting them. Uh, they have an expansion of power and influence. Right. You're absolutely right. I was like, that's a boycott. And he goes, oh, well, I meant just not watch it. I was like, you weren't going to watch it anyway. Like, why do you – you're not going to watch it. It's, yeah, it's, it's on a Wednesday night it. at 8 o'clock. We're going to be at the bar. What do you – It's that's not a boycott. And people right, always right. say, oh, I'm going to boycott Chick-fil-A or I'm going to boycott uh, – and you see it a lot on the right right now where they're saying, I'm going to boycott Starbucks. And I'm like, man, you don't go to Starbucks. You're not boycotting it. <laughs> you know um, – You're a Dunkin' it, Donuts man, and I have no problem with that. <laughs> you know, it's – I look at politics, and it seems like everything comes full circle. And uh, Matt, especially in this age of – tribalism um on both sides yes um to where you know things that the right ridiculed obama for now they embrace yes or things that the left was okay with for so long well now all of a sudden now it's wrong it becomes it's wrong yeah and and so uh we when we pledge allegiance to a singular partisan movement, uh, we lose context of what's morally right. We lose context of um, what's good for humanity um, because instead of focusing what's good for humanity, we're focused on what's good for um, the current political convenience. And when that happens, it's a disservice to the whole entire nation. Yeah. When, when Georgia Washington, when George Washington was leaving office, I believe he said that we should not have two political parties because eventually some point in our country's history, it will be more about the party than about the country. Correct. And we hit that point a long time ago. Right. People right. don't care about the country. Like they keep saying, oh yeah, I'm going to do this for the country. I'm doing this for the country. You know, make America great again. You know, that would, you know, we need to do this for the people of America. This is for America. But what they're doing is they're just trying to get their side more power. And Correct. as they just continue to drive a wedge in between the left and the right. Correct. And they are using that. And then they use the guise of, oh, we need to get, we just need to stop this portion of the Bill of Rights. So, you, know, you can't have free speech. You can't say that because it just, you don't want people hearing different sides of opinion. And that creates more division. Right. And then if you take away the guns, you're if you take away the well, guns, then you got civil war on your hands. And, and, and then, you know, you, you're, you're absolutely right, Matt, because there's now people who want to totally redefine how our republic works. They said, well, now we should do away with the Electoral College. Really? You, you want to do that because your candidate lost. Right. Because um, it didn't and, work out in your favor. Because it didn't work out in your favor. And so my solution is, you know, get a better candidate, right? get a better message, do a better job of compelling the American people. And this is the beauty of free speech. We keep going back to it. Do a better job of being persuasive in the presentation of your dialogue and your beliefs to compel people to, to, to believe that what you have to say is better or tr- more truthful than what the other side is presenting. It, it, it's, 
it, it's the whole um, courtroom scenario um, where, you know, you have the plaintiff, you have the defense, and each person has to make the case to the jury about why their side is right and why the other side is wrong. Um, but you got to come with facts. And so, you know, we, we, we have to be able to engage each other on a civil level. We have to be willing to embrace diversity of thought. And, and, and that a lot of people are opposed to free speech because they find out, oh, my goodness, I might have been harboring a wrong thought for many years. Right. And a lot of people don't want to be challenged on that, they, you, so, which is a deterrent to, to personal growth. If we just want to be honest. I mean, forget the politics of it. it, it just growing and maturing on a personal level, it prohibits that. And one of the things is, what I have found is you don't have you don't have like a political opinions anymore. You have political beliefs. And when we're talking about beliefs, that is something that you have internalized and has become a part of you. So when you start challenging right. that you're challenging somebody's belief system as opposed to you're challenging their opinion. And that's right. why they are so quick to push back. And they say, no, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that because, or they attack you. And that's when they call you a Hitler or Nazi or KKK, right. or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever, whatever word of the week it is that they are using <laughs> as their, you know, Trump card, um, whatever identity politic that they want to play. That's right. that's when they start pushing back, and that's when they hit you with those words because you're not challenging their opinions; you're challenging their beliefs, and they have internalized it and it has become part of them. And that is part of the reason that the left-right divide is so bad is because people have stopped caring about the nation as a whole, and they care right. about the right, and they care about the left, and they are fighting Correct. for it. And that is their belief. That they, and the, it's not their opinions; it's their beliefs. It's like right. telling it a flat earther that the earth is round. Like they will not listen to anything else, but because right. you're challenging their belief system and they will fight back and they'll call you a globe tard. And I'm certain there's another name for people who know <laughs> that the earth is round. Um, but uh, they challenge, they hit you. They, they're, they just fight. There's a group online Correct. called, uh, called flat earth, no trolls. And if you go, to interesting. It, yeah, if you go to it, if you make fun of flat earthers at all, they kick you out. They kick you out immediately. Wow. Uh, I have been a member of this group for about five years now. It's some of the best bathroom reading that I've ever found. Um, and it's just great. You'll just read through and you'll see people being like, how can the earth be round? The sun's right there. The moon's right there. And I'm like, oh, man, that's – I'm not a scientist. I can explain that, but all right, whatever. <laughs> um, but they are so much against – they're so much against somebody – challenging their ideas that they will kick you out of their groups. And this is everywhere across the nation. That's like, this group is the perfect, uh, perfect example of what is going on everywhere else is people don't want to be, they don't want their voices challenged. They don't want their opinions and beliefs challenged. They just want to be left alone with their beliefs and anybody that tries to infiltrate it, they just want to silence them, kick them out and not have to deal with it. And these are, and these are people who don't want accountability, man. And, and, and I know your show is not a spiritual show, so I won't dwell too much on this. But as, dude, dude, I've, I've as had a, multiple guests on here that have talked about multiple uh, different things. Well, as, as, as a minister of the gospel, I need accountability. Um, I need to be 
challenged to grow more, to not be comfortable with a spiritual experience that I may have had last week or last year and just say, okay, I'm content with that. I, and I'm just going to stay at that level. No, I need accountability. I need, I need people in my life that can push me to go to the next level. Um, the people that say, okay, that was good, what you've experienced, but there's so much more. Um, because within all of us is a capacity for so much more. Um, and it's, 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 why, it's, it's why we don't stop at just graduating high school. It's why we, put, we tell our kids, go to college, pick up a trade, join the military, because there is capacity for so much more. It's why the person who's in their 50s or their 60s contemplates going back to school. Right. It's, why, it's why the single mother with two kids says, you know what, it is challenging right now, but there is capacity for so much more. It's why people go for masters. It's why people go for their doctorates because they don't want to limit themselves to just this one-time euphoria where they said, okay, that is the totality of my experience. That's going to be the totality of my life. No, there is, within all of us, there is capacity for so much more. It's just, it comes down to if we're going to be willing to tap into it or not. Right. And that's one of the, like, I'm not a big fan of uh, forcing kids or, you know, telling kids they need to go to college. Not a fan of it. Right. Never have been. Right. Um, Right. You know, that I was told, you, you need to go to college or you'll never get a good job. You'll need to go to college or you'll never get a good job. And then I looked at the same thing, Matt. Yeah. 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 It's it, false. It is. It's patently false. Patently false. You know, yeah. like I could have gone to a trade school for a year and a half, been paid off after yeah. six months or something of work, of yeah. working, and then been. There's always going to be a need for plumbers, technicians, air, people who work with air conditioning right. and lightning. There's not going to always be a need for a lawyer. There's not going to always be a need for a politician. Well, let's not say that. One of our sponsors is Chris Reynolds Law, and there's always <laughs> there's always a need for there's always personal injury attorney Chris I, I, Reynolds, attorney at law. I retract. I retract. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's always a need for Chris Reynolds. There may not be a need for another lawyer, but there's always need for Chris Reynolds. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um. So uh, we're actually coming up on uh, time here, but let's talk real quick. Let's talk about, uh, I wanted to talk about Project 21. We've been doing a lot sure. on free speech. Uh, I So Project 21 is, it's a conservative group made up of uh, black Americans who try to get the conservative message out to, sure. to, to the black community. Right. We've, uh, they've been in existence for quite some time. I came on board Project 21, I want to say roughly, it, uh, I can't remember, but probably um, the genesis of the Barack Obama administration, um, because at that time, um, it, it was just automatically assumed that the majority of the black population um, supported Barack Obama. But there were black conservatives who had different views and perspectives and we wanted to get our voice heard. And so the National Center for Public Policy and Research um, 
gave us an outlet into which to express uh, political and cultural commentary on current events and issues. And so uh, I've been a part of Project 21. And so we do radio interviews, we do television interviews, um, various um, media outlets um, on various political and cultural topics. So how difficult is it? Because I know that the media, the media and the government has, they, they, they push the left to the black community. Like I know a lot of, uh, many, many of the black people that I have met throughout my life have said they are Democrats. They were born Democrats and they're going to be Democrats for the rest of their lives. Sure. How difficult is it to spread that message into the black community? That's a very good question, and we're, we're probably going to have to do a whole new set <laughs> because this this is a passion of mine. Right. So the the best way to approach communities um, is to talk about policy. It is policy, not politics, that's going to have the direct and most impactful, um, ter- um and most impactful uh, resonation in communities. Um, the mistake that I did when I got into politics was that I was so eager and so zealous to defend the party. And a lot of things, what conservatives get wrong is that they want to they give black people a history lesson. The Republican Party freed the slaves. Right. It's the party of Lincoln the party of Frederick Douglass. And history is important because if you don't know history, if you don't know where you've been, you're not going to know where you're going. But you also have to realize that they're going to come to you and say, okay, thank you for the history lecture, but what are you currently doing? And so you talk about issues that are relevant. You don't get into the tribalism. You talk about issues, issues like criminal justice reform how that affects minority communities. Occupational licensing, how that affects minority communities with government regulations um, for, for ex-offenders or those people who um, want to have, who work in barbershops or hair, hair salons. And they have to get so many um, documents and they have to have so much regulation that it prohibits them from excelling at the work. You talk about breaking internal and external barriers that prohibit people from reaching their um, their max potential. When you bring that message home, you're going to find out that people are on board. People, minorities care about school choice. They, they, they know that a child's education or child's access to quality education should not be incumbent upon the zip code that they live in. That, that, that is, that, that's how you appeal to a parent. That's how you appeal to a child. So you have to talk about issues and not about politics, not about a party, not about an individual, because you will find that if you talk about an issue, they will gravitate towards a conservative position and they may gravitate towards a conservative candidate. But you would never know that if you don't start with the issue. And you have to be willing to be humble enough to know that your thought process and what you may have previously learned could be wrong. So when minority communities, when first, if you experience some apprehension, you have to be humble enough to say, well, 
we haven't put in an effort in the last 20 or 30, 40 years. So, of course, it's going to be apprehension. But you keep trying. You keep showing up. It, it, it's, it's not rocket science. It, it, it's really not. It's, it's having a genuine care for people and for their families. And if you have a genuine, genuine care for people and their family, they will listen to you. All right. Uh, and your book, uh, Preservation and Purpose, The Making of a Young Millennial and a Manifesto yeah. for Faith, Family, and Politics. Um, I'm assuming that uh, just based on that, uh, it talks about it talks about your faith in your faith in God and uh, right. your life as a preacher, uh, about your family growing up and how you became a conservative or how you became right. involved in politics. Um, right. I included the link on YouTube and I'll include it other places so people can buy it. Very kind. Of you. Yeah. You know, anything. Um, but, uh, is there anything, is there anything in that book specifically that, that you wanted people to definitely see or hear or read or. Sure. The book is twofold and you just alluded to it. The first part of the book talks about events in my life that shaped who I am spiritually, culturally, and politically. And, and so the genesis of me becoming a conservative. The second part of the, of the book is a call to action for millennials, my generation, to take upon the mantle of leadership, to define, for, for millennials to define what the narrative is going to be. Not the media, not, not from previous generations, but they're going to define what the cultural and the political narrative of today it's going to be. And so I, I, I think the success of our country um, is contingent upon what my generation does. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes millennials, um, they, they get this, um, this label that they're entitled and that they're lazy. And, you know, I have to stick up for them. Yes, there is a component of that, but they're also very smart. Uh, they're also very diligent and they, they will, they won't just take something just because you said it. They're going to intellectually challenge you. And, 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 and that's good for all of us because it holds us accountable to the thoughts and beliefs that we have. Right. So and, that's what the book talks about. And from what, I, what I've found is that uh, every generation thinks that the generation after them or the gen, maybe the generation after that one uh, is lazy and entitled. And, yeah. you know, the, the boomers think about it, about Gen X, the greatest generation, or about uh, the millennials, the greatest generation. Uh, they were saying it about uh, Gen X. Like, and it just, that seems to be the way it is. When right. when Gen X was, you know, taking shape in the early 90s, if there were a bunch of coffeehouse misanthropes that listened to <laughs> loud music and wore ripped pants and flannels every day, which God bless them for picking my style so early. Uh, but, um <laughs> But they uh, I'm an old soul, man. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I I revert back to the, the 50s, the 60s and the 70s and music and things of that nature. So I, I can I can resonate. Right. <laughs> but, um, it just seems that that's the way it is. And for the most part, yeah, you are going to have the people in the generation that are lazy and that are entitled. But you still have the people who are the hard workers and the people who know that they have to actually go out there and do things in order to make a life for themselves or it to better the planet as a whole. Uh, Correct. And I mean, you're obviously 
one of the people like the list of things that you do is just insane um <laughs> uh you're you're one of the millennials out there who is actually going out and making a difference in this world and is doing it well you're very kind i, I i'm trying uh, i'm just trying to trying to be a voice um to those who don't have a voice um or, or those who realize that they don't have who have yet to realize that they have a capacity to have a voice themselves so i'm just trying my best to contribute to society and to not let my life be wasteful. Right. Um, so final question that I have for you. Uh, have you picked up water, toilet paper, and bread yet? <laughs> um, I, first of all, I do want to say thoughts uh, and prayers to those who are in the pathway of Hurricane Dorian. I think that's the um, the name that's been yeah. given. Um, I do hope that everyone's able to find shelter and everyone's able to um, get the necessities needed uh, for hurricane preparation. Um, I'm, I'm in Tampa. Uh, where I'm currently at, I think I'd be good. I think I'd be okay. Um, and so preparations have been made. <laughs> and um, hopefully this will be a storm that... Uh, will cause little to no damage, um, no fatalities, and uh, praying and hoping that um, it will pass over quickly. No, absolutely. Uh, with with every hurricane that hits, um, I, you know, I, I always wish for the least amount to be done, uh, right. damage right. to be done, and for people, you know, go out and give to the private charities that can actually do more work. Absolutely, absolutely. And so that that is something that my organization um that I'm a part of Americans for prosperity, something that we are preparing to do. And we, we talked about this briefly um, before the show commenced and how Katrina changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so now, you know, it's, uh, and of course, Katrina was in August of 2005. And so now it's better to over prepare than to under prepare. So um, it was one year ago today that the hurricane hit, uh, Houston and uh Harvey Harvey. Hurricane Harvey yeah, Hurricane That's Harvey. Right. yeah. yeah. and I uh gave JJ Watt uh the Titans defensive player he started a charity in order to help the people of Houston and I don't yes he did and yes I he did my, and I gave money to that um because I won't give what was and what was so great and impactful about that is hat is that he didn't he didn't depend on the government right he didn't depend on American Red Cross you know he went straight to the community and you know, Matt, that's that's the strength of our nation. Exactly. And not not government, but we as community. And he raised a ton of money, and it helped out a lot. He did. And yes, it did. There are people around here that are doing the exact same thing. So if if this area, if any area needs it, find people like that. Don't don't rely on the government to anybody Correct. watching this. Um, but uh, be safe uh, over this Labor Day weekend because everybody be safe. I don't care if you're in the hurricane path or not. Like, be safe over the Labor Day right. weekend. Right. Um, and I don't drink. So if uh, you need a ride home, give me a call. Cause I'll definitely come <laughs> out and pick you up. So you're not driving, but, um, Good call. but, uh, to you, especially have a great Labor Day weekend. Stay safe, stay as dry as possible. Uh, I'm going to do the outro. Uh, is there anything you want to close with anything you want to pitch anything you want to tell people about? Hey man, I just want to say thank you so much for allowing me to come on your show. Uh, I've enjoyed the, um, the conversation immensely and let's do it again. Yeah, absolutely. You are welcome on anytime and anytime you want to get together and grab lunch, I, I am always down. 
We'll do it. All right. Sounds good. Everybody else. Hey, thank you, Matt. Hey, thank you have you. a great night. All right. You too, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. To everybody else, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. Remember, I don't know if Jason's doing a show tomorrow or not. He may still be out of town. Um, so you can possibly tune in tomorrow to see Mr. America, the Bearded Truth. If he is not having a show tomorrow, you can tune in on you can tune in on uh, Monday uh, for Jason Lyon, Mr. America, the Bearded Truth, and then on Tuesday you've got Spike and me coming back for my fellow or no, that's not our show, that's Spike's show for uh, Muddied Waters of Freedom, where Spike and I will be parsing through the week's events. And then next Wednesday, Spike Cohen will be back from his Jew event, as he called it, in Atlanta uh, to go talk with somebody. I don't have who uh, to talk with somebody on his show, My Fellow Americans. And then next week, right back here, an all new episode of the Writer's Block. Have a great weekend. If you are in Florida, stay safe, stay dry. Make sure that uh, you get everything that you need. And if you feel that you need to evacuate, get out. Um, To everybody else, have a safe one. If you are around, please call me. Don't drink and drive. Do not do it. Call me. I will come get you. Uh, Everybody, have a great and safe holiday weekend. I I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell It's astounding the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory water till my liver turns blue.